So it's 1 Kings 17 verses 1 to 24. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastwards and hide yourself by the brook Kerith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Kerith that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Arise, go to Zarephath which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me and afterwards make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and her household, she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar, the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty. According to the word of the Lord, that he spoke by Elijah. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You've come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged, and he laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came into him again and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Thanks, Mark, for reading. Uh, we're going to look at that together. Um, if you could, if you have a Bible to hand, do keep it open at 1 Kings 17. 
Um, but I'll share screen a little bit as well, just to point to a few verses. But let's ask for God's help as we turn to his word. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you who brought your word to that widow of Zarephath have brought your word to us this lunchtime. We ask that by your spirit, you will open your word to our hearts and open our hearts to your word. But we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're asking the question this lunchtime, uh, is God really trustworthy? Um, can I lean my weight on him day to day? And can I take him at his word? As we heard the reading read, I don't know what you thought, but you may have thought this does seem like it's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And this little section of the Bible does feel a bit like that. Um, it's around the 860s BC. And um, it's worth saying, I think, that even as you read through the Bible, miracles like the events that happened in Elijah's time in the concentration that they happen around Elijah and Elisha are very unusual. Um, I think there are four key moments in human history where the living God has walked onto center stage in a particularly extraordinary way to reveal who he is. Uh, he does that at the Exodus, as his people were brought out and formed as a nation, Israel, from Egypt. He did it in this time of Elijah and Elisha. He did it in the life of Jesus himself, as Jesus did things that only God can do. And then in the works of the apostles as well, as they brought the news about Jesus to the world, we see, again, this kind of extraordinary work of God. So why did God do that in this time, in Elijah's time? And what does it reveal about God, the God who is there, the God who is there today? Well, we're joining God's people, Israel, at this time in the darkest of days. We're after Moses, we're after Joshua, we're after great King David, who had led the people well on balance. Um, and the king of Israel by this time is, is uh, the kingdom of Israel rather, is divided. And the, the kingdom that we're dealing with here, the northern kingdom of God's people, are under King Ahab, who was about as bad as a king of God's people could ever be. And if we think, think Ahab is bad, um, wait until we meet his wife, Jezebel, who was systematically killing off the Bible teachers in the land. And so this section of Israel's history um, helps us understand, well, what does God do in that kind of situation when the very people that he had saved and chosen to display his righteousness and make him known to the world have themselves turned from serving him and they worship a false god, Baal, a pagan god. Uh, what will God do about that? And in the beginning of the chapter, we see that the first thing God does is he withdraws his blessing from his people and he withdraws his word from his people. So his blessing was withdrawn in verse one as the rain stops. The Lord takes away the rain because at that time his relationship with his people is so tied in with the land that they're living in and he withdraws his word from the land because he takes Elijah the prophet away so without Elijah there to speak God's word they 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 lose the word that they've not been listening to and God calls Elijah to this different region where we see him at work with the most unlikely of people and that that's very typical of the living God so the first point we're going to think about I've got three quick points and the first one is 
the searching challenge of the Lord's word. So let me pick things up again in verse nine. This is the word of the Lord coming to Elijah. He says, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've instructed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. Now, Elijah goes, but what's remarkable here is where he goes to, because Zarephath, I've got a little map here. Uh, Elijah was down by the Jordan River near Samaria. That's kind of, that's Israel. That's kind of God's people territory. It's the promised land. But he goes up to Zarephath as God commands him. And Zarephath is right outside the promised land. And it's right in the heart of where the pagan god Baal is worshipped. And yet God has found this widow and Elijah, through God's through Elijah, going to have mercy on her. So we meet this lady, uh, this destitute widow at the town gate gathering sticks. And Elijah asks her to give him a drink and she agrees. But then he asks for a piece of bread and we get this picture of the desperation that she's in. So verse 12, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Then we get this searching challenge for this desperate woman. Um, she's called to take what she has and through it, use it to demonstrate that she trusts the Lord. So look at verse 13. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. So there's the challenge of faith. What does faith look like? It's it's trust that's obedient trust. And she's called to take that little that she had left and make something for Elijah to demonstrate that she trusts him and then she's given this promise verse 14 this is what the lord the god of israel says the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the lord sends rain on the land so this woman might have never met one of god's people before but she knows two things she knows she's about to die and she knows that the lord yahweh the god of the bible has made her a promise and the question is will she trust him and in that dilemma, the woman is like every one of us as God's people today. Living in a world where lots of people around us don't know the living God. We all know that we're going to die. And we know that the God of the Bible, Yahweh, has made promises to us. Jesus says to you and me, I'm the bread of life. Whoever um, comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And the searching challenge for you and me is, will we trust him? Will we step out in obedient faith with what we have to show that we trust his provision for us for today? And uh, that Jesus can give us the life we were made for, knowing God now, enjoying him forever. Well, the woman does what the word of God commands, and she's wonderfully kept alive. So verse 15 um, there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. So that's the searching challenge of the Lord's word. Every day is a new day. It was for her. It is for us. 
with that same challenge. Will we trust the Lord's provision for today? Give us today our daily bread. But then devastation. So our second point, the mysterious pain of the Lord's word. So look with me at verse 17. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. And through the tears, she swipes out at Elijah, verse 18, I guess expressing her bewilderment at the Lord. What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? And for Elijah, it must have been utterly perplexing. What on earth is my God up to here? He brought me to this place to be provided for by this woman. He's blessed the woman. She's, she's come to trust him. And now he's taken her son away. But for us today, it is a great comfort to know that the Bible deals with real life. Because in pastoral ministry, I find again and again that what most destabilizes people in the Christian life is when we get bewildered by what God's doing in our lives. And we wonder, well, what could God be doing in this? But look at this Bible realism. Why would the Lord invite this woman to trust him and provide for her and her son every day and then let her son get sick and die? So one writer uh, says this about this uh, this event he says we can only say that this woman discovered early on that Yahweh the Lord both sustains and bewilders both delights and devastates and as you watch and hear her in the text you know that you've been there just as perplexed as much in a maze in just as much darkness before God why you've lamented did he light my way with tokens of his favor and then crush me with such a grievous distress and yet there is a sort of backhanded comfort in the rugged honesty of the Bible. It hides nothing but warns clearly that Yahweh both blesses and baffles his servants. That's the mysterious pain of the Lord's word. And the word forewarns us here so that we're forearmed for if we experience that bewilderment in our lives. And then our third point, our third point is the, uh, the life-giving power of the Lord's word. So Elijah doesn't turn away from God in his distress, his confusion. He turns towards him. He takes the dead son from the woman. He carries him up the stone stairs and into the upper room where he was staying. And he lays the son down on his bed. And he pleads. Have a look at verse 20. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, why, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? And then he lies down on the boy as though he's saying to God, let my life pass into this dead body. He does it three times. And then he prays again. Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. Elijah doesn't have any magic words. And at this point, he's just an ordinary man on his knees, pleading before a great God, Yahweh, my God, let this boy's life return to him. He's got no promise, folks. At this point in Bible history, nobody has ever risen from the dead. But then look at verse 22. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. 
he gave in to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. It's a wonderful moment. And you realize here that the Lord let the woman's son die so that he could demonstrate to her and to us that you can trust the Lord, not just for your present, but for your eternal future as well. It's just a sign of that great truth. As God demonstrates here that he can help you, not just when you're in distress, but even when the jaws of death have firmly closed over your life. And for centuries after this event, generations went by of people who lost their loved ones, parents whose children died, grandparents at the graveside of their grandchildren. And you can imagine every time among God's people, them thinking, you know, I wish we lived in the time of Elijah. He could have helped us. Like that widow who got her son back. I wish that could have been me. Until Jesus comes and he sees a widow's only son being brought out of Nain in a funeral procession. And we hear Luke tells us that his heart went out to the woman and he said, don't cry. And he puts his hand on the beer and he speaks to the boy and he raises him to life. And once dead himself, but now alive again, he says in Revelation chapter one to all of us, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Just recently outside my church, there was a, a, a Lamborghini uh, parked up, uh, which is not very common in Glasgow. And uh, a couple of boys were... Um, uh, we're, we're taking photos of this Lamborghini um, just parked up. Um, so I walked towards the car. I had my car keys in my hand because I was going home. So I had the keys in my hand and I walked up towards it. And there was this moment when they thought, this guy, it's his car. And one of them said with this look of awe and excitement, is this your car? And uh, they couldn't see that my keys were actually for a Nissan. Um, and they were excited. Um, because if I had the keys for that sports car, then I was the man to know because I had control over the car and the car was mine to share. And folks, when Jesus says that he holds the keys of death, he means that by defeating death, he can now unlock the gates of death and set his people free from it. And so we can trust him with our deaths so that the tears of joy and relief in that widow's home in Zarephath that day are just a picture of the joy that we'll feel on the last day when Jesus, alive forever, restores all things and says there'll be no more grief ever again. And so the woman responds in verse 24 with this great statement of faith. Let me just bring that up as we finish. Just have a look at verse 24. The woman says, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. In other words, she has seen that the God of the Bible is a marvellous provider and she resolves to build her life from now on on his word. And the invitation for each of us is, will we respond like that to his word to us today? Could we, like the woman, take God at his word? Could we trust that he'll provide everything we need for today if we build our lives on him and that we can trust him with our future? Amen.